Hello, everybody, and welcome back to All Opinions No F***s. This is Preston. And Brennan. And once again, we have my good buddy Paul as our special guest today. Say hello, Paul. Hello. How's everybody doing? Excellent. So uh, today we are going to talk about some depressing-ass topics. Uh, we're going to talk about food waste and a very related topic, recycling, because food production produces a lot of waste, both when it comes to the packaging materials and the food itself. Correct. And mainly how plastic globally has impacted our oceans and our waterways and so on and so forth. Correct, Paul? Yep. Where it's going, where it's come from, and hopefully what we can do to change the path that it's on. Right. And, and as you know, we're in California, you're in Utah. You have to go to a restaurant now, per state policy, and ask for a straw. In California. In California. Yeah, they will not just offer you a straw. You actually have to ask for it, per, right. per new I, state law. I went to a restaurant last week, and they... Uh, even though it's not legally obligated here in Utah, I don't think, uh, they totally did ask if I wanted a straw, and we were like, yeah, sure. And they gave us paper straws, which I thought was really awesome for this company to take the initiative to try to go green. Sure. Yeah, I mean, it's a thing. Like, there is the paper straws. That, but, again, but aren't we back to then cutting down trees and paper? And isn't that a factor, too, in this whole... Eco-friendly. It, it is still a commodity. Right. Like, like the paper straw, yes, it's a commodity, but the number one reason that trees are being cut down isn't, to, isn't for building material and it's not for paper. It's for, uh, it's for cattle. It's for livestock ground. Like, that is the number one reason that we are cutting down forests currently is for more pasture grazing land. Do you know, like, I forget off the top of my head how many acres sheep need but sheep need such an insane amount of land in order to grow and prosper that it's it's just baffling. I did not know that. I thought it was mostly cattle. Cattle, cattle, you can kind of cram into a little bit smaller space, but sheep, like they got to have their room, especially if you're gonna like do a, a, a higher quality sheep or cattle in general, where you want to give them their grazing land and you want to let them be able to roam. Yeah, you can get those uh, high feed, high density lots where. You're cramming them all in shoulder to shoulder and just feeding them, stuffing them full of antibiotics and corn right. in order to get the, the fattest, quickest turnaround that you possibly can. And the corn creates highly acidic digestive tracts, which combined with the antibiotics produces antibiotic resistant E. coli that can survive in the human digestive tract. So that's a whole problem in, in and of itself. Yeah. So... Uh... In, in first world countries and uh, countries that are growing and exploding economically, the meat trend is growing exponentially in a rate in which that uh, the world won't be able to keep up. Like the entire world will not be able to keep up. Right now in America alone, I want to say we slaughter something like 75 billion animals a year. Damn. Yeah, I, yeah. I, I actually was doing my research on this because I actually just saw on Netflix they have explained. So I highly recommend I that because they really, that. They really cover this that. topic very well. I can't quote the stats on this, but again, the population level in America, specifically America, a first world growing economy, and over the last 70 years it's become a huge meat-eating economy. And then how much grazing land you need per your point with the sheep as well as cattle and other grazing, 
how much land you need to get eight ounces of steak. It's insane ratios that are just proportionally crazy. And that's not even talking about the um, the uh, methane they put in the land, right? In the, in the uh, ozone, right? The so the, yeah. And the yeah. water that they take up. Right. Yeah. And so, and that's another thing too, because I know you specifically wanted to talk, Paul, about waste and plastics in the, but these are so mutually exclusive to me that it's like crazy. You mentioned in California, I mean, in the water. And this is the thing. If you look at the water usage, they also do another episode about water and how I think it's 70% of water is agriculturally driven and agricultural water is so subsidized to keep the food prices down and it's so disproportionate. I read a stat today when I was uh, reading some articles. 25% of agricultural water is used to grow food that ends up getting thrown away. Oh, wow. See? It's fucking ridiculous. Not even fed to the feed, the food that we eat. No. It gets retailed Just back like... into the soil or it gets thrown into landfills where it rots and produces methane. Uh... But again, guys, this is the, the, I think this is a very tough topic. Because oh, totally. It's so complex. Yeah. The best thing about our generation or these times is we do have grocery stores. We do have commercialized farming. That's a whole corporate structure we could identify and talk and break down. And we talk about antibiotics and or the steroids they put in these animals to grow them. Right. But, but it also provides us with tons and tons of free time that we can use not thinking about how we're going to feed ourselves. Precisely. Which is like, you know, most of human history that was what your time was spent on, was feeding yourself and your family and your tribe. Correct. Again, just in just in the United States in the last 100 years, we went from, you know, the Gilded Age, oh, let's just say 120 years, whatever, the Gilded Age, where 95% of America were farmers, to yeah. now it's less than 2%. Yeah, right. So, And they have an incredibly high uh, suicide rate because it's such a stressful and thankless job. I have not heard yeah. this stat. Oh, yeah, farmers have a crazy high suicide rate. I did not know that. I know that rural, I know that uh, small farmers are, they, I didn't hear that they had been committing suicide, but I did know that they just can't compete with these big commercial farms that are using like drone technology and GPS to self drive the sprayers and all the different things that they need to keep up on the, the farms. Yeah. Again, I, and this is the, this is the challenge. I mean, I love our modern day uh, structure because I think, again, I don't have to hunt I don't have to spend my day going to the well to get water. We have a lot of great amenities, but the greater factor of like, the greater effect of corporate warlords, you know, overtaking even farming is sad. And then realistically, we subsidize most of our food. So, yes. um, which people don't talk about because we're so-called capitalistic free market value. But, um, but going back to the waste though. Hang on, hang on, real quick. So, fact. go ahead. Fun yeah. fact. All right. Um, uh, the modern grocery store was a tactic that America used to stop the Cold War against Russia. What? Explain. Yeah, they totally they totally opened a grocery store like in Russia, an American grocery store, and was like, "Look at what you have if you're an American." Oh Use shit. that as like propaganda against Russia oh, during yeah. the end of the Cold Cold War. Oh, that's such Isn't a good that crazy? But this is the thing. People are hilarious. Like, this is the argument. My stepdad, which we'll have on here eventually, is like, capitalism breeds options. 
I'm like, yes, and maybe it does, but it's the same apparent company that owns these options. <laughs> that's exactly what Trenton said, and that's exactly what I said in response. <laughs> and that's true. But then we get into, like, how many options do we really need? You don't. I like, everything is at our fingertips. We can get on Amazon. And, and this feeds into, like, the, the whole overusing of plastics is uh, led largely by our consumerism. And it, right. we're living in a disposable age where you buy something and it is cheaper to throw it away and buy a new one than it is to get whatever you have fixed. Yep, I've been very guilty of that. And that's subsidized, too, in some capacities for different reasons. But I want to talk about one analogy in this point thing. And I hate Amazon. But uh, isn't it funny you buy a, a pack of pencils, uh-huh. and the box you get it in is a 12 by 12 box, and it has bubble wrap in it. Waste, <sighs> right? Yeah. These are the problems we're talking about. But then if you want to standardize no. and simplify your packaging within a corporate structure, this is what you do. Yeah. Because this is again, true. This is true, but so uh, my my background is I did 13 years in food service, and so I have a lot of background, like seeing the the, the what how the food service works, the the amount of food that you throw away at the end of the day, the amount of plastic that it all comes wrapped in. But I've also gone into the uh, mail service, and my wife was recently working at a sorting facility for the yeah. the United States Postal Service, yep. and I promise you that that bubble wrap that's around those pencils is necessary in the sorting system and the packaging and mailing system that we have right now i kid you not but those, again if, the plastic waste it, 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 it some sort of protecting protecting structure needs yeah. to be put in place right. otherwise every single one of those pencils you get by the time it comes from wherever some big warehouse yeah. to your doorstep yeah. would be broken and then you'd be needing a refund and then you'd be shipping it back and then you'd be getting a new box and so we would have to restructure the way that we sort and ship mail and that would require so many more resources in order for people to be able to not throw it in the bottom of a 15 foot bin because that's exactly what happens with the mail. It gets right. dropped into the bottom of a giant metal basket, pushed onto the back of a semi, and shipped where it needs to go. And as you said in the last episode, you really highlighted it doesn't matter the the value or the uh, the the wording of fragile on it. It doesn't really have a value within the actual warehouse. No, because you're crammed in a warehouse that doesn't have air conditioning, and you're made to push those packages as fast as you possibly can to where they need to go. Yep, you have yep. a task and you need to fulfill that task as fast as possible and that's the most important thing. Right. And that's why um, whenever you like take it to a postal office and they're like, if you want guaranteed shipping on this, then we need to pack it in two inches of anything, whether yeah. it be packing peanut styrofoam or bubble wrap. Yeah, no, it's crazy. I mean, I, I see the logistics behind it because you want to protect the product and the end consumer is happy. That's the end game of business. But um, that's how everything is. I mean, it's not just shipping shit through the postal service or through Amazon. Well, when you buy a product in the store, you spend five minutes cutting the packaging off and the packaging is like by volume as much as the fucking product itself. But isn't that symbolic oh, to the wasteful society of America? Like, we wrap totally. gifts. We wrap gifts. Just to unwrap them and throw their stuff away. I feel like they pack it in such big, so much plastic, so much big, bulky uh, packaging to stop theft. 
that's exactly what that's for. So that yeah. it's clearer if somebody like takes a thumb drive and tries to pocket that shit and it's in a, a, a you know, 12 by 12 plastic container for this little teeny tiny thumb drive. Which is impossible so to open so without scissors or like a Bowie knife. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> right, the jaws of life. But it's funny how, uh, you know, how, how I guess business safeguards itself from theft and so on and so forth, like what you just said. So, okay, we have a big box, we have plastic wrap, so you can't really, when you shake it as it, like, you know, when it's Christmas Day and you're your kid, and you're shaking a box and you're trying to identify what's in it, same goes with th uh, thieves. They can't identify if it's a thumb drive or if it's pencils, so then maybe it's not value, valuable to just open it up and figure it out. So they pick and choose. So maybe that's the logic behind the packaging. But um, do you think that, uh, do you think we should uh, change that? Like how would you, like how would you restructure packaging within business? How about well, that? Well, one way that we could do it right now is because the, the bulky packaging is specifically geared towards big box stores that are becoming more and more rare with the age of the internet that we live in. And so with Places Isn't Amazon, like Amazon one of the biggest suppliers of uh, uh, USPS? Everything. No, no they I have feel their like they own. Send a lot of their... Don't they? Well, they're starting yeah. to phase it out. But over the last, like, over the last, like, I think five years, one of the biggest business-to-business uh, uh, -business accounts was Amazon. I don't know. I thought they were UPS, but I don't know. Um, it's, uh, it's it's UPS, and so the way that Amazon a big way that Amazon was able to start out and get their free shipping kicked off as well as they did is I heard, I have no idea how true this is, but this is all facts, right? Yeah. Um, uh, That's right. Yeah. <laughs> uh, is that they, they built their warehouses and their, their distribution hubs in and on top of and next to UPS distribution hubs. Okay. And so they, they were in bed with each other right from the very beginning, which is why they were able to get so widespread with such affordable shipping right off the bat, is that they, they integrated their structure, their foundation into, into UPS. Which is smart, okay, because I, I, I've heard many things, and you know, obviously Donald Trump as well, they, you know, the, the losses of the, the Postal Service is due to and because of you know, Amazon. Um, Absolutely not. So many of the things that are spouted about the United States Postal Service being working in the red are complete and total lies. The United States Postal Service is actually funded and uh, like completely all of their income is formed through the sales of stamps. They are they don't use taxes at all. Really. Yes. But the crazy thing is they have to get Congress congressional approval to increase stamp prices. Right? Isn't that and fucking so, weird? Yeah. The um, only wait I, I did not know this. There's oh, yeah. no subsidies at all via the state and or no. They don't get taxes at all. They are completely self funded through the way that they ship the way that they uh, charge for stamps that is and awesome. priority shipping. Yep. Isn't enough. that insane? It's yeah. amazing. The reason that people have been, uh, the, the reason that the post office has been struggling recently is because they are required to have on hand 80 years worth of pension for their employees. Mm. And what other company has to hold, has to legally require to have 80 years worth of pension for all of their employees? Like 80 year per employee. Per employee. And okay. that's why the post office and has been it. like, that's why the negative uh, uh, yeah, light it. has been put on the post office is because this ridiculous uh, financial expectation that they've been held to. But again, it's worth it to get that pension as an individual employee. 
Yes. But do you really need to have in your bank account 80 years for every employee that you have? Not now, because people switch careers like they switch fucking... I don't know. Yeah. Uh, damn, just completely lost an analogy, but, but, but yeah. But, uh, so I, I want to pivot. <laughs> Passive and they flip Fell the on my face. So, so again, I think plastic and cardboard are the are the staples of packaging, and that is the, a detriment to um, the waste of these materials. But I oh, want to pivot because I want to go back to I want to go back to the animals. Okay. Like you said, you've been in the food industry before. I want to talk about the FDA waste or an FDA regulation that leads to restaurant waste. What is your take on that? Do you have any negative effects? Do you think, you know, from a supply chain to inventory controls, in your um, experience, are those apples to apples or are they, are they too extreme or are they, or are they not? A good kitchen manager and a good executive chef will be able to monitor and maintain proper rotation and limit food waste effectively. I've worked with enough great people that I know that it's definitely possible. But I also know that uh, cooking is a hard industry that doesn't pay very well and there are gonna be a lot of uh, grunts that you could say, a lot of cooks that are shoved into this position that are uh, have the high expectations and they aren't going to you know, switch out product the way that they're supposed to and follow the rules that they need to be following and that will lead towards more waste because if you're stacking old food if you're stacking new food on top of old food then all of the food in that container is going to go bad faster and so it comes down to a location by location case by case what their standards are what their processes are for maintaining good food quality in your experience what you've seen in the industry do you like the policy do you think it's feasible from operational standpoint, and you mentioned good kitchen managers. Is there is that a is that a thing? You said you've worked with a few uh, with some, but like, do you think all the fast food restaurants throughout this country? Do you think it's being properly executed at a high level? Um, a lot of the larger chains, I would say, probably do, but that's because um, the chain comes with a name the name has to be maintained right so chipotle a few years back had that huge salmonella thing and like that hit them so hard and so a lot of these companies do have a lot of safeguards and a lot of procedures that are hammered into every single location along with um executives that come around and do you know inspections but i also know like i worked for uh, can we can we drop brand names? I guess if it's bad, sure. then I'll just get beeped out. Um, I worked for Chick-fil-A for a while. Really? Oh, yeah. Was yeah. that in Arizona? No, that was no, in that was Utah. Arby's. Talk about Arby's. brand names. I, I worked in Arby's, yes. I worked I in Arby's in Arizona. I worked in Chick-fil-A. I didn't know uh, that. Right after I worked for Whole Foods. And Whole Foods, oh, man. I got a oh. whole other opinion about Whole Foods. Um, <laughs> Not so <laughs> whole, huh? Oh, we'll get into that in a minute. Well, bro, I would love to tear them up. Right? Yeah. Like I, my my boyfriend always uh, talk. I always talk about my boy to my boyfriend about how I think organic is a scam, and he he knows to not oh. even point out organic to me. So some of it is, some of it isn't. Yeah, that's basically um, how I feel. So but I feel like most on, of it is. We'll get back to we'll go with Chick Fil A for a second. Yeah. Sorry. Um, the way that they have made it so that they don't have to worry about because like chicken is super uh, high potential for salmonella. Right. 
And what they have done to combat this is they have a lot of preservatives in a lot of their product. And so um, you go from having a natural product and a whole food, a good food, to having something that's highly processed and something that's highly manufactured in order to sustain that shelf stability. Right. And it's more than just salt, right? It's like the weird, oh, yeah. long-ass chemical name preservatives, right? Exactly. Nitrates the and all that The way that I view good food is if you can look at the label and identify everything that's on it. That's a great sign of a good product, if in my opinion. If you can pronounce the word, it's doable. That's also <laughs> that's also what a lot of nutritionists say is like a good guide for eating yeah. healthy, is if you if yeah. you look at the the ingredients and you can pronounce them all and you know what they all are, that's then right. it's and also the fewer there are. Right. So yeah. something that I have, the, the, the biggest bone that I have to pick with Whole Foods, and I, I was, so I started working for Wild Oats, and I loved Wild Oats. Such a fantastic company to work for, such a great experience. I never would have left that job. But Wild Oats went under, and Whole Foods bought them out. I heard a rumor, I have no idea how true it is, but I heard a rumor that a Whole Foods uh, slandered Wild Oats' name before they buy out to drop their stock prices so they could get a better price on buying wild oats. Does not surprise like, me at all. Yeah, I don't I would know not how be true surprised. that is. I but, believe it. Yeah. And so when Whole Foods came in and they brought in their 365 brand, the thing that frustrated me the most was that Whole Foods have bred this persona of being healthy and being local and it's the best food for you and all the ladies in their yoga pants go and eat at Whole Foods because that's where you get good food, <laughs> right? Yep. And as soon as Whole Foods came in, we uh, immediately canceled all of the contracts that we had with all of our local food providers. Of and course. we got everything shipped from us from a, a distribution center in Colorado. So the local aspect immediately got completely cut out. And a lot of the, now not all of it, but I would say a half and half of the 365 brand, which is the Whole Foods brand, some of it is good and some of it is that quality where you can read all the ingredients on the list. Right. But so many of their 365 brand is full of garbage. And the amount of, uh, so I worked in the deli where it was the cold case and you, ha you have all the composite salads, mm -hmm. like you know your potato salad and your tofu salads and all that fun stuff. And so many of their bases are just mayonnaise dressing. Mm. We started going through, I would say, three times more mayonnaise per day when Whole Foods came in and took over because all of their recipes are mayonnaise-based. <laughs> and why is that? Is, is mayonnaise a good preservative? No, it's just delicious. I was going to say. Like, it's delicious. It, it's fat. It's, it's fattening. It's, it's creamy. It's a little bit sweet. It fucking, it go, it, you can add salt to it and it tastes delicious. It's, fat is you know, flavor. But what's, yeah. the, what's the shelf life of mayonnaise? Not a good. A good long time. Oh, is it? A good long time. Oh, yeah. pretty... Okay, so... Uh, I say this because I thought if you leave mayonnaise out at room temperature, it goes bad really fast. Yeah, that's what I thought but too. But I've heard that mayonnaise, and I can't quote my source, but it's like mayonnaise was developed as a preservative, really. Oh. Um, it can be. So it's so the fat way, and so like yeah, so go ahead. If you make mayonnaise from scratch, man, mayonnaise is one of the five mother sauces. I'm pretty sure, and it's made with egg yolk and oil. And you whip the egg yolk like a madman, and slowly drizzle in oil to emulsify the two together. And that's how you make real mayonnaise. Okay. But the shelf stable okay. plastic tub of mayonnaise that we have now 
is chock full of so many preservatives, it is so far removed from what it once was way back in the day. Okay. And so would I eat mayonnaise after it gets like that clear uh, shell on it after it's been sitting out for yeah. four hours? Yeah, no, no I'd probably avoid it. But you should <laughs> avoid any food after it sits out for four hours. Yeah. Unless it's pizza. <laughs> pizza, pizza is, is the rule. Yes, pizza is the, the exception to the rule. I want to do a little uh, flash update. I don't know if you guys know this within the news, right? Because she mentioned Chick Fil A. You worked there. You liked it. Chick Fil A. No, I didn't love working for Chick Fil A. You did not. No. Okay. Christian Company. They've had their bouts. They're closed on Sundays. So yeah. on and so forth. Right. They actually have a thing where they're pro. LGBT community now. Oh, good for them. So I'm not sure what that means at a high level, but they do have a they do have a PR campaign going around. So I guess it means that I can stop making jokes about them hating the gays when I go there with my boyfriend (laughs) to eat. (laughs) Uh, Whatever. Now that they're in support of it, the next time you go to Chick Fil A, you guys just like right as soon as you're done eating your greasy sandwiches, just start making out. Yeah, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, so I don't know. I need to uh, research about that, but they, they that's the newest thing, man. So sure, why not? It's funny how corporate, you know, to get that market share, right? Anything to get that market yeah, share. Yeah, like yep. the, the, it being against the LGBT or whatever it is. Yeah. Like, LGBTQAFGDMA. Oh, yeah, anyway. B- yeah, it's, it's gotten ridiculous. Yeah. It's gotten out of hand. Uh, the I LGBT. don't know what to call them. I love them. I support them. Yeah. But, uh, yes. but tone it down a little, guys. <laughs> I can. I'm in there, so I can say that. <laughs> yeah, there you go. Um, okay. Where you know you take a political stance like that and it hurts your stock, then you gotta do you gotta do what you can to yep. recover face. Yep. Well, it actually did help them actually. I think in Georgia originally, they they based out of Georgia, but uh, they, on the forefront, people tried to challenge them, and they actually their stock went up. And people try to get them to open up on Sundays, and their stock went up. And but that was probably circa five years ago. So I'm not sure of their PR campaign since. But I did see that in the news in the last two weeks about them putting out a PR campaign about loving the community. And so we'll see where that leads. Um, yeah, I, I just think it's it again. We live in a, a society where it's very developed and it's very policy driven, and that's a good thing, right? Um, yeah. And going back to the waste factors, and we kind of talked about this before we started the, uh, the podcast, but um, the correlation of waste and policy and industrialized countries versus third world countries, we see most of the waste in third world countries or undeveloped policy-driven con- countries, like China. China's a big one. No, I don't know how much I support that after what I've researched on recycling. Um, so... Well, recycling is taking care of the problem once it's initiated, but where the initiation occurs. No, so per capita, the U.S. by far is the highest waste-producing country. Five pounds per per day. But we're also the biggest recycling... No. No? No? 9%. Absolutely not. Of plastic, 9% gets recycled. Yeah. And that's of what we try to recycle, which and, is like 10%. And within yeah. the operation, why is that? What are we Paul? doing? So, what are we doing so, Okay, Ooh, I is, did some research. Yes. Oh, shit, he got happy. So, Look at this. Man, he's shaking January, his... January of 2018, 
China decided that they weren't going to take our shit anymore, literally. So up until this point, okay, so let's say recycling started getting kicked off in the late 70s, early 80s, where you had to divide all your own bins. It finally got streamlined to where you had a single container for all your recycling, and it has really been pushed and campaigned for as it's gained steam over the years. Up until January of 2018, we were shipping 70% of all of our recycling to China and to other third world countries. It's gone, like it was most specifically China before 2018, Um, but now it's going into other uh, Southeastern Asian countries because of the low labor costs. So in order to recycle anything, you have to pick through it, especially since we put all of our uh, cardboard, plastic, all of the other recycling into one container, the, the aluminum cans. Right. And not only that, but in order to be able to recycle product to where you can use it again, it has to be clean. It has to be uncontaminated and it has to be certain plastics. So meaning and when I throw my empty peanut butter jar in the recycle bin, I'm being a fucking asshole, right? If you're not cleaning it out first, yes. You are doing more harm than you are good. I'm an asshole. So if he's the asshole and I put oil on top of that, what is, what is that then? That whole batch of recycling is garbage. So what's that all about? They can't, like, wash it? I always assumed that they, like, just completely bathed it all in hot water to get rid of everything. Yeah, I'm not sure. No, they They don't. just toss it. (laughs) It's not cost effective. Yeah, I suppose not. And uh, And so with all of these food products... All these, all these plastic items that are still having like food contaminants on them, right. getting shipped. They were getting compressed into big giant bricks. So China would send their big giant uh, tanker ships over here with products. We would unload the products, load them full of our compressed recycling, and then ship it back over to China, where it would go into a recycling or a sorting facility, not even a recycling facility, but a sorting facility, where low page, low paid workers would sift through all of our garbage and separate out all the different kinds of plastics, pull out anything that was contaminated, all the stuff that uh, still has food waste on it. Which is most of it, probably. Which is a giant portion of it. Which is a giant portion of it. Which is why, which is what leads to only 10% of the product that we try to recycle actually being recycled. Got it. And so after they've picked out all of the good pieces of plastic, all the large pieces of plastic, because if it's too small, it doesn't go through the machines. The plastic bags, if they go into the machines and they uh, get caught in all the gears and stop the machines from working, if it's dirty. uh, And you also have to think about if it's dirty and it's getting put on a tanker with no air conditioning and shipped across the whole ocean. By the time it reaches these third world countries, it is it, it smells it attracts pests. It's, probably, it's actually becoming a huge problem for these countries, these developing countries. It's probably dangerous to the people that have to unpack that shit. And this is and this is why in America, what we see is it's on the front end. The action oh, taken yeah. is on the front end. That's why we and, have oh, the blue versus the black bin. And we feel so, good when we throw it in the bin. We get our, we get our warm fuzzies when we yeah. throw it in the blue bin, and we're like, yeah, we're doing our part. But really, it's it's not. It. I also heard recently that uh, a good way – now, I don't know how true this is because I haven't looked into it yet, but a good way to identify what plastics are recyclable is like your big, giant, wide yogurt container with a, a large lid is actually not – very easily recyclable hmm. it, it can be recycled but it tends to gum up the works better more than a bottle like a like a coke bottle that has a small narrow lid and a, huh. a, a large cavity huh yeah 
I don't know what it is about the thinner plastics, like Yoplait containers, yogurt containers, uh, the thin packaging that they comes in everything. They bend and stretch and cover the gears, I bet. Yeah, yeah. But and isn't so this also correlated... Cause... And isn't this also correlated to when it's a circular object or something? Isn't this all... And this may be all PR. This is where I don't know much about this topic because I know the press releases, I know the news, but I'm not sure the tangible operational flow of fixing this stuff. I, you know, I remember, you remember the six pack, you know, for a six pack of Coke, you got the six, you know, the plastic Oh, you're talking about the rings? The rings. And how when that goes in the ocean and that hurts the wildlife or the marine life. Yeah. Because they get stuck So I thought that that too for a long time. That was such a big PR push. Is that PR or is that truth? It was true. Used to be. Past tense. Okay. So when the plastic rings were first manufactured, Mm. they were not biodegradable. Photo, photodegradable? Something like that. Like the light from the sun would make them fall apart, basically? The light from the sun makes them fall apart. I didn't believe this until I was working with a good executive chef who was uh, watched me cutting the rings diligently like a good little boy. (laughs) And he's like, dude, you're wasting your time. You don't have to do that anymore. And I was like, bullshit. And he's like, yeah, since like the early 90s, there was a law that was passed where all of those rings have to be made of a photodegradable plastic. And I did not believe him. And so I took one of these plastic rings home. I strapped it to the roof of my shed. (laughs) (laughs) And two weeks later, without touching it at all, it broke apart. Damn. Yeah. And so if that was on an animal that's scratching at it, it would break off far sooner. Well, so it broke but apart. It broke but did, apart, but it, was still, but it was still toxic, right? That's it was still, I don't know how toxic it was. Right. It's still plastic in the environment. It's right. not great. Because the, go, the, the Pacific Ocean garbage patch, it's particulates. It's tiny little, almost microscopic pieces of plastic. That's because as that they're agitating apart. in the ocean in the salt water, they're getting broken apart and then going into, getting absorbed into the water. But it's still and there toxic. Are actually seven yeah. islands. Seven. Seven. Are they yes. all the size of Texas? I don't know how, if they're all the size of Texas, but they're all pretty large because uh, that's where like the trade, the the waters, the way that the currents move are collected in seven different locations. Right. So there are actually seven different trash piles that are all Jesus. collecting and getting larger on a on a actually more rapid basis, due to what China did back in 2018. Okay. So when China was like, hey, we're not going to take your garbage and you say, so you used to be able to sell your plastic for $6 a ton. You could sell your plastic to China. They would buy it. They would uh, recycle it. And then since their manufacturing plants are so close, they could make it into reusable items and it was cost effective for them. But it is no longer, that's not the path in which they're taking anymore, especially with all these tariffs, these trade tariffs that have come into play. Mm. They're like, no, we can't do this anymore. And so all these other third world countries with the the low labor, the low labor costs, decided that they were going to try to gain some of this money in creating good product. But the amount of garbage that was dumped on them, they were not prepared for. And so there are countries that have these huge, giant, tons and tons and tons of waiting to be recycled items, waiting to be sorted garbage that they they don't even know what to do with. And it's probably getting smellier and smellier because of all the food and that shit. And not only that, but they're taking... So uh, another thing that they're doing with a lot of this recycling. So uh, in the last two years, so many plants across the entire nation have 
stopped accepting plastic, so you can only recycle cardboard now. Huh. They've they're stockpiling. I heard about one plant that's trying their best to remain green, and they have 400,000 tons worth of compressed garbage behind their warehouse, and it's only getting bigger. Yeah, let's talk about this. Stockpiling. What is stockpiling? Do you guys know the origins of that and how that, like, what stockpiling is? Just like collecting it and not doing anything with it, right? Yeah. That's like a, that's essentially what a landfill is, correct? They're trying to still collect it, but they don't have anything to do with it, so it's just piling yeah. up. It's basically becoming yep. a landfill. It's becoming yeah. a landfill, right? That's what stockpiling yep. is? Basically, yeah. Okay, that's what I make sure, I just want to make sure I understand that. Because again... But it's, it's, it's stuff that they hope to be able to recycle again as we get infrastructure. So infrastructure is being built and we are addressing the problem, but is it, it like you can't build a state-of-the-art recycling facility and start pumping through this garbage that we have building up now in the meantime fast right. enough. So well, this is what I... Is this also innovation, though? We don't have the innovation in this sector to tackle Right, this, there's right? no financial incentive because... No, exactly. Because, as because, people say, it's cheaper to make new containers than it is to yeah. recycle them. So the virgin product, the product being produced before it's broken down and recycled, is cheaper than the recycled product. There are companies that are, you know, trying to go green. They know, they know that a lot of uh, the, the consumerism is being driven by like ethically sourced plastic, which I think will begin to gain in in momentum. Where like you'll see more and more items that say ethically sourced plastic. This is a good. This is a recycled item. You know. And so that's the incentive for companies is to be able to slap that sticker on something that you're using. And it gives you that warm, tingly feeling, like throwing your plastic in the blue bin. Right. Well, it goes twofold. I want to say two things. I like the use of the word virgin, well played. And then it goes back to your argument against organic. Because are these marketing employees or not? Right? For the okay. end consumer, you slap, you slap the sticker on it, organic or, you know, eco-friendly. Uh, this is where we'll my back. confusion we'll jump back lies. back to organic for a minute. This, this is so, my confusion. Go ahead. Um, being in the food service industry, I got a good look into the inner workings of organic. A lot of the local farms that you're getting your produce from operate organically, but in order to get the organic label, you have to certify. You have to get this government stamp, and that costs a lot of money. And is that so a state-by-state state thing? That's a national thing, I'm pretty sure. Okay. Where, like, if you want to be nationally certified organic, you have to pay a lot of bills. You have to pay a lot of, of, of licensing or whatever. You have to have um, people, inspectors come to your farm and inspect how you're operating. And that costs a lot of money. And so a lot of the local farms, even though they're operating organically, they can't slap that organic sticker on there because they're not certified. Got it. Also, I, from what I've read and heard, there's still a lot of questionably natural shit that goes into organic farming. Oh yeah, no. It, organic doesn't mean that it, you don't use pesticides or you can't use fertilizer. It means that you're you can only use a certain amount. You, there's right. like a percentage that you can spray right. on the crap, no which shit. is there's not still, how they market it. That's no not no. what people understand it to oh, be. Oh, they're still spraying shit all over. It's your food, still yes. chemicals. It's still toxic shit. It's just. It just may not be as much. Right. Instead of a gallon, which it's is, a half a gallon. Which is why what, I think... Which which goes into another thing. I want to I um, segue all these topics together because I want to keep us on point. It goes into, as you worked in fast food, you give me your opinion on this. 
when it comes to beef products in the fast food industry, (laughs) when beef is only 20% of the actual product, to the point, if it's a percentage-based thing, that's fucking scary. Go ahead. We're talking about Taco Bell and their meat filler. Remember that? It's 51% beef, so it counts as beef. That kind of shit. Do you remember that? Okay, you remember that story? Crazy! Like, what the... So, okay, so... Organic in policy is the same way. If you're X percentage below, you're organic, and there's a threshold. But it also comes with a government stamp, the government seal of approval. Yeah, right, right, right. So you may be able to have access, like, uh, local farmer's markets. You're probably getting a lot more organic at your local farmer's market, but they can't call it organic. Mm. And then there's there is a thing called the Dirty Dozen and the Clean 15. And if you Google search it, I'm sure it'll come right up, where there are 12 items, and I can't remember them off the top of my head. Because is the Dirty I Dozen all my ex-girlfriends or no? The Dirty Dozen is... is you haven't had 12 ex-girlfriends. <laughs> Brandon hasn't had 12 ex-girlfriends. Let's be real. <laughs> the Dirty Dozen. This is a separate list. That might be on the... If you turn your safety filters off, that list will come up. This is... If you have them on, then the, 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 the Dirty Dozen of... Uh, so, the Dirty Dozen are gotcha. 12, okay. 12 recommended items in which the, you should always buy organic. And I'm pretty sure the potatoes, oh. grapes, and apples are all on there. You should but buy I mean, them organic? You should buy them organic. Interesting. Because of the, the way that they grow, they the skin is so thin that they absorb whatever chemicals are being sprayed on them and they go right into the product. I've heard this before. Basically, the thicker the skin is, the less necessary organic is, is what I've heard. Yeah. Like avocados be, have thicker skin, so uh, it's not as necessary. Bananas, melons. that kind of shit. Yeah, okay. Oh, bananas. Poor bananas. Bananas are going to be a thing of the past. I know. Oh, I know all about bananas. Oh, bananas. <laughs> it's bananas. It's totally bananas. So, yeah, that's my take on organic. And as far as, like, meat fillers and stuff like that, I've also heard terrible things where they can take the intest. Oh, excuse me. The intestines of an animal, and they can wash them with ammonia, mm. and then grind them and sell them as ground meat. Yes. And that's because, and they don't have to list ammonia on there because it's a treatment and not an ingredient. Right. Pink slime. I remember hearing about that. There was a news story talking about pink slime. And it kind of grossed me out, but I still buy and eat ground beef. So apparently it didn't gross me out that that's much. That's because meat is delicious. Right. I, beef. Oh my gosh. Protein. There's no better way to get a, a high impact of iron in your diet than a good old steak. Right. What about a Salisbury steak? That's what I grew up on. That's what I thought was a steak growing up. Isn't that like breaded and uh, deep fried? Almost like a uh, chicken fried steak? No, it's basically a no. hamburger patty. Yes, I think it's just <laughs> hamburger <laughs> patty. Yeah. 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 Uh, I didn't even have a steak till I was like 17. Yeah, that was the first same. steak I ever had, so there you go. I think I, was, I think I was 15 or 16. I was 16. Yeah, I remember it. I was white trash. We couldn't afford steak. Our our beef was ground. Yep. My yeah. father had some medical issues when I was very young, and so my mother, uh, he was a vegetarian for a long time. I think he still oh, tends that. to lean away from meat in general. And so growing up, our household was actually very very pro veggie, not very a meat, not a very meat heavy diet. My older brother always used to complain about it. <laughs> Interesting. I didn't know this. Uh, nutritionists actually only recommend four ounces of any meat during the entire day. 
And huh. so you sit down for like your eight ounce steak, your 16 ounce steak, and you're like, yeah. It is like a rock in your gut. And really? it sits there for so long. Yeah, you're only supposed to eat four ounces of meat in a day as based uh, as suggested by nutritionists. I don't know though, I've man. Al- I've always heard this like uh, this analogy. Sorry to interrupt you, uh, Preston, but if you uh, raise your hand up, and the ball of your hand to the palm of your hand, uh-huh. right? Isn't that the size of the meat uh, you're supposed to intake a day? According to that, probably. It's a good like Have a deck of cards. The size of a deck of cards is a good way to get, do a size reference. Okay. So recently, I heard that what if you want to build muscle and use it most efficiently, you should eat 20 grams of protein every three hours, which I think 20 grams of protein is like maybe like a drumstick, but I don't know that for sure because I'm fucking American. I don't understand metric system. I don't uh-huh. even know. How, I don't even know how much a fucking ounce of meat could, is to be honest. I wish we could adopt the metric system. It makes sense, right? <laughs> we have, except for you know public sentiment. But anyway, but. Uh, uh, I don't know about all that nutritionists because every person is different because our digestive system is not just the same. It's like, you know, there's the, the biome, the, we have different bacteria that digest things differently. Different yeah. people have different crazy things. So I think that diets and nutritionists need to personalize diets for everybody. And I've heard I a agree. lot of different topics or different, uh, like I've heard TED talks about this. I've heard various different things i've read articles about it and it seems like the best way to determine what you should eat is to get a private personalized nutritionist to like analyze your body basically and and not only that but uh doctors in the medical field in general have people like if you're this tall then this is how much you should weigh but there are so many different body types like you know uh uh, who is it on South Park that's like, ah, I'm not fat, I'm just big boned. Yeah, right, Carmen. Carmen, Carmen all day long, right? dude. Yeah. And so it's like, I am I am a thin, <clears throat> tall guy, and I've always been thin and tall, and my wife is a delicious, curvy woman. Very true. And, Sorry. And, but every single time, <laughs> thank you, every time she goes to the doctor, she's always like, they're always like, you need to drop 50 pounds. And it's like, wow. this is my body type. This is yeah. just how I am. I've got curves. Yeah. And like, even at the healthiest, when it, the healthiest she was in her life, she didn't weigh what they recommend based off of height. And so we really need to like... Because averages. That's all it is. Yeah. Again, yeah. this is going back to into government standards. And I, I get why they do this over time. We have new technology and all that stuff. But again, we just mentioned about the recommended food intake of meat or the body type. You know what I'm not, Paul? I'm not tall and thin. I've never been tall and thin. <laughs> I'm short and stocky through and through. Yeah. And so when it comes to the recommended height and weight measurements, I've always been morbidly obese. Right. 100%. All the have time. You ever, have you ever felt morbidly obese? Only 90% of the time. <laughs> <laughs> Silence. <laughs> I read well, what he was thinking. Well, <laughs> I watched South Park to feel good about myself against Carmen. Right. So I'm like, okay, have you, that Have you ever fuck. not been able to tie your own shoes? That's right. <laughs> have you ever been like, you know what? I, I'm just going to wear slip-ons, Crocs, all day, every day. All right. So you know what? As long as you know what your dick looks like, you're good. That's exactly right. <laughs> I've always been told. My uncle told me this a long time ago. Never get fat. How do you know when you're fat, man, when you can't see your dick? <laughs> and then I say, what if I have a mirror? I can see it. I can see it. It's there. It's Go there. eat that cheeseburger, buddy. That's right. So, again, okay. but it, it is, it is uh, again, going, uh, I guess we're tying a lot of subjects here, but I think at the end of the day, I 
we um, image orientation and these baseline government policies or recommendations would you say have helped or helped or hindered society? You just mentioned, Definitely. yeah, you just hit, you talked about your wife. Without, I mean, without hesitation. Like, yeah. it's such a personal thing, and I think as our society develops, right? So again, talking about ways, we're talking about development of society. We've learned, I would say, in the last twenty years, in dietary and nutrition, it's an individual thing. It's an individual Not thing, and you only know what you know until you experience it. This goes to a lot of different talking points of the cycle of poverty, uh, fast food chains being in cheap areas. It's expensive to eat well, and it's cheap to eat bad, right? Yeah. So as you've probably seen in your career within the food industry, what do, you, what do you think about that? What do you think, obviously, we just identified that everyone has their own health dietary Restrictions that they have to learn that, but wh- how how do you practice this, knowing what you know within the food industry within cooking? How do you maintain your weight? How do you maintain your kind of? <laughs> well, I'm lucky and I've got good genes and I don't have to worry about it. Um, uh, so as far as like eating healthy, it, it, I think that's kind of what you're trying to talk about is eating healthy, maintaining. Good I'm weight, saying right? like yeah, how do you how do you with your knowledge base what you know. How do you then execute your life? Like, how do you, you know, do you, do you identify the wrongs in the world and just accept it and just still get a milkshake or no? Um, well, I don't like milkshakes, which is probably why I'm also kind of skinny. That's definitely why you're skinny, man. <laughs> I like milkshakes a lot and I'm fat. Milkshakes is so good. <laughs> um, I, I love me good steak though. Oh man. And a hamburger. Uh, so everybody's different. And uh, t- touching back on the wealth inequality and the availability of cheap, crappy food that's also easy to make. The highly processed, like the, the microwave, the, what are they, the Hunger Man dinners or yeah. something like that, yeah. right? Yeah. And those are so easy, so readily available, so they feed on our convenience, which we need, like everything. If it's not convenient, then we don't want to deal with it anymore. Right, and um, then they're super cheap. And they're super cheap. And so this is just perpetuating this, but they're also full of preservatives. They're full of fat. They're full of salt. Um, sugar, because sugar makes everything taste better. Yeah. And it's yeah. addicting until so you want more. Every processed food has lots of sugar in it because it makes it taste better. Lots of sodium. Lots, lots of, of sodium uh, and sugar, yeah. Lots of, so let's get into the Beyond Burgers, the Impossible Burgers Ooh, versus yeah. regular burgers. All right. So uh, watching that Explained episode not too long ago, yeah. fantastic. Oh, so good. Such good information. Yes. I am in favor of trying to find these meat substitutes because environmentally it makes more sense. And if we can get something that is close to meat, then I'm willing to try it. I'd love to give it a try. I want to come Um, back to that, but go ahead. So they have the same amount of protein. They have the same amount of fat. But the amount of sodium is like 10 times the amount as a regular burger. Now, granted, they did say they did say in the episode that it was an unseasoned burger. And an unseasoned burger is not near as good as a regular burger, which may have been why the taste tests were skewed. Maybe if they had added more salt to the beef burger, then the people would have chosen. So uh, for people who are listening who may not know what we're talking about, there was a blind taste test where there was an Impossible Burger, a Beyond Burger, and a regular beef burger. And the Beyond Burger and the Impossible Burger are two meat substitute patties that have been made in the last, uh, I would say, decade 
formulated over the last decade to being meat substitutes. They're completely plant-based uh, hamburger patties. Did you listen to and the uh, Freakonomics episode talking about them? I did, the okay. future of meat. Okay, uh-huh. yeah, yeah, yeah. So I uh, just wanted to bring that up for people that are curious. They go into quite a bit of detail about it. So go on. Definitely. Great. Love Freakonomics, and that is a great episode. Yeah, it is a good one. Um, and so if they'd added more salt to this hamburger patty, then maybe the, the blind taste test wouldn't have been so skewed, but everybody picked the Impossible Burger and the Beyond Burger. Maybe that's because that's what they were trying to portray from the you know producer standpoint. Right. I'd love to try them, and I'm in favor of them. The, uh, the only, so another option that I've heard about and I really hope to see implemented in the future, I wish that I could get more people into it, and I've, it's something that I've been uh, fiddling around with my own kitchen, is adding mushrooms. Mushrooms ah. are really high in the flavor umami, which is yes. one of the flavors identified in meat to give it such good, that richness, that savory is identified as umami. It's the fifth and taste. Salt, bitter, taste. sweet, sour, and umami. Yeah. If, and was, if, if, this, if this was the fifth oh, element, no. umami would be love. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, umami's great. Yeah. And so uh, I know a while back they did this study in, I, I think it was Wendy's, I'm not entirely sure, but they added 30% mushrooms to their ground beef patty mixture their their recipe that they were shipping out to all their stores and people actually preferred the flavor over their traditional hamburger i don't know if this is still true i don't know if it was just a test i don't know where it may still be incorporated but uh mushrooms added in are added into meat are a great option yeah totally um i know we're good uh sorry the screen just went a little bit dark for some reason no idea why but, um, My screen keeps flashing out. It's okay. like flipping. I think it's like our our connectivity is kind of going in waves. Oh no! Just my laptop went dark for some reason, but the battery's plugged in. I guess it's dark. It's night, so it's no. trying to tell me to stop staring at my screen so I can get some good sleep. But, my screen's been falling asleep. Didn't you not touch your mouse for a while? Yeah, and then I moved it, and it didn't do shit. But anyway, but you're talking about mushrooms. Um, do you know about Paul Stamets? Do you, know, do you know who he is? Okay, he is a researcher. He's a really quirky character, but he's fucking awesome. He loves mushrooms. He's obsessed with mushrooms. He is a mycologist, and he has some really interesting things to say about mushrooms and about my the so my um they're called mycology because mycelium is like the root structure of fungus. Right. And his idea is it's like a neural network that permeates the entire planet because fungus is like half plant, half animal. And it's like the go-between. And he has some fascinating stuff to talk about. Oh, he's super extreme. And I just want to jump in here. And I think you saw him on Joe Rogan? Yeah. And he, what, he was wearing a hat made of? Of mushroom. <laughs> this guy was wearing a hat made of mushroom. It was intense. Uh- Super cool. Totally diehard guy. Yeah. But very knowledgeable about the structure of and the benefits of. Interesting fact, they actually named a character on the most current Star Trek after Paul Stamets. So in Would the, you describe him as a fun guy? Yes, absolutely. Yeah, well played. <laughs> well played. 
I see. Nice. That well one. Played. That one slipped right past well, me. Well played. As, as you said it, I'm like genius. Nailed it. Genius. I blame the tequila. Yeah. That was, that was that was genius. That was very good. Uh, but yeah, it's interesting, man. I mean, again, this is the thing about like um, food, and this is where in my you know quick understanding it's when you're taking when you're trying to learn this stuff and eating non-meat products versus meat products you measure this by flavor and fullness yeah right Umami. yeah flavor and satiation and yeah for sure and mommy is also brought on by msg which is why msg is so popular in so many different different dishes but it's so highly processed i don't like it at all but there's no evidence that it's actually bad for you because all it is is glutamate added to sodium. But I've tried eating. I we actually um, so I found this out because my boyfriend was like, you know what? I want to buy some MSG, and I was like, you can you can buy MSG. Yeah, you yep. can buy it in like a salt shaker, and you can add yep. it to stuff. And I we have it, and Go I use it. Go to your local Asian market. Yeah, I'm sure right. Got a we, giant tub of it. Amazon.com. Now you know, Brandon, you hate it. But. <laughs> But yeah, you know, I, I honestly, it's not that salty, so it doesn't really add much flavor unless you also add a bunch of salt. So maybe that's it, the problem. Is what is, what is it enhances flavor? Let's it enhances it. flavor like salt, but it doesn't work at quite the same as salt. Right, not nearly as much. But it is a flavor enhancer. Right. Are we, are we impl- okay, so MSG is a flavor additive. As yeah. well as uh, supposedly MSG is like what umami is. It's like the it. essence of umami, according to what the chemist who created it was trying to to achieve. Got it. That okay. is what they were trying to achieve. I will disagree with the health benefits because uh, I've had a more high. Uh, okay, so going back to while I was working at Chick Fil A, they offered right. a free meal, which is something that I think every restaurant should do. I highly support that because if Absolutely. you don't know what the food tastes like, how can you sell it? Right. Well, but yeah. eating so much MSG every single day. They have MSG it, in their food? Everything. Damn. Every single thing you eat at Chick-fil-A has MSG in it. Is it because it's a preservative as well? All of their breading product, yes, it is a preservative as well. Oh. All of their breading products, all of their seasoning, all of it has MSG in it. I was hard-pressed to find a way to eat there and not consume MSG. I, there, there are ways to do it, but you have to know the meat. You have to know how it's cooked. You have to ask for it specifically. It's not a menued item. So while I was eating there, it wrecked my gastrointestinal health. Really? Interesting. Yeah. I had to make some changes to the way that I was, what food I was eating while I was working there. Okay, because I remember when you were in high school, you talked about how you thought MSG gave you migraines. I don't necessarily think that anymore. I have no idea what triggers my migraines because they're so infrequent. Right. Yeah. What about, um, yeah, okay. But, okay, so MSG from a business standpoint is good for why? Oh, it's, it's flavor. Purely flavor. flavor same reason but salt is. But you said preservative. It was demonized because of racism, basically. What? I don't know if I agree with that. Explain that for me. Um, so it was, it's basically a very uh, common component of Chinese food. And people started talking about how bad MSG was for you because the Chinese people were adding it to their food of... Uh, I don't. I don't know exactly. Um, I think I got it from like Adam knows. Adam ruins everything. But, Great show, by the way. But uh, basically, because it was Chinese, people demonized it, 
or because there's not a lot of Chinese food, people demonized it and thought that it was the devil. And I, I, I don't know. Look all at right. that. So the question, all, I, the question, all opinions, all opinions. <laughs> so, so the question is for me: Is MSG a preservative? Yes. It has salt in it, so yeah. So therefore, it, is, it, is. it can be used. It helps with the preservation. So again, so again, from a business standpoint, it it helps the shelf life. Of yeah. items. So in that yeah. wise, arguably, pretty much all preservatives probably aren't great for you, especially in large quantities. Right. Yes. So I could see that for sure. Okay. Uh, I forget. I, I, I don't know. So this a friend told me this, and I don't know where he sourced it from, but he talked about the uh, empty calorie food and the better for you food in a grocery store. The way that a grocery store is essentially set up is your healthier for you food is going to be around the whole outside edge. That's yes. where your, like, your meat counter is. That's where, you know your bread, your produce is all going to be around the outside edge. But as yes. you get into the inner shelves, that's where all of the garbage food is. Mostly made of corn and, and or soy. Yeah. Oh, Almost exclusively. Definitely. Yeah, that was um, actually sourced from The Omnivore's Dilemma by Michael yeah. Pollan, which is an excellent book. Okay. At least that's where I read that. That that same uh, tidbit I read in that book. So. Yeah. Yeah. Totally. Yeah, I mean, if you think about it, the produce, it's on the outside. The meat yeah. and the dairy is on the outside. And then if you go to yep. the left, the bakery. Bakery's less likely to have processed stuff in it because, you know, you buy the bread from the bakery and it goes stale in a few days, meaning it has less yep. preservatives in it. So, yep. So from a marketing standpoint, everyone's going to go to the perimeter. Therefore, they'll... No. No. You don't no. go to the wait, perimeter. Wait. You walk straight forward when you come wait, into the store. Wait, let's talk about this. Let's talk about this really fast. I actually thought... I, I shop at Fruit for Less down the street here and I do the perimeter. Because to your guys' point, I have my staples in which I get. Same, because I buy a lot of produce. Most of what I buy when I buy groceries is produce. Right, I go but produce, that's meat. not normal. Okay, so we're not normal? Not normal. Really? Who knew? No, I don't think so. Remember, you remember Dan's mom my... when she went grocery shopping? No. Fucking Gushers and oh, Pepsi yeah. and they fucking Ritz Crackers. See, oh, yeah. yeah. Their food was delicious, but it was so unhealthy. My yeah. my point is this. The majority does the perimeter, hence the end caps drawing people to the aisle. Um, People with money, people with a disposable income, people with a more flexible income do the outside. Right. People who are on a very fixed income, people who are on welfare, um, people who are on WIC checks which is the uh, yeah. women, infant, children. Women with children, which is, yeah. Oh, that's what it means? Oh, I never it's heard. a great program, and it really helped me personally through right, some yeah. hard times. Mm-hmm. But they are going to shop more on the inside aisles because those are the cheap foods. You know, you right. instant macaroni and cheese. You can make them right. quick. You don't need a lot of uh, food knowledge base in order to make them. And they'll feed your family for pennies on the dollar. You can buy 50 packs of ramen noodles for like 10 bucks. <laughs> Volume. Exactly. Volume. Exactly. Yeah. Volume. Calories yeah. over quality, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Interesting, because I thought the difference. That's funny. Because I thought you... you... Can, now, when when we were a little bit more uh, financially strapped, we ate a lot of rice and beans. And rice and beans are a great protein. They can be made in a lot of different ways. And they're a good-for-you food, a healthy-for-you food. But not everybody has my ability to make just rice and beans taste good right my my ability is add salt to it and then that's what i eat so i don't eat rice and beans much (laughs) (laughs) rice and beans together have all the amino acids necessary to make a complete protein rice has amino acids 
Hey, Paul. Yes, you... everything. Everything has amino acids. Paul, yeah. Do me right. a favor and describe what I'm showing you of what my dietary <laughs> life is. Uh, Brendan just walked up to the camera and he showed me a dry, I think one of the biggest bags of rice I've seen and a can of beans. <laughs> this is, these are my staples. Staples, right? <laughs> Have you ever read Into so, the Wild? No. Um, it was about a kid who basically was raised like higher upper middle class, went crazy after he graduated and decided the society sucked and went like wandering the U.S. for years just hitchhiking and he ended up going into can into Alaska to survive on his own and then died but basically the entire time he was wandering everywhere Mexico the United States the Southwest he was surviving off of a five pound bag of rice that he carried with him yeah so it's like yeah. damn so I guess yeah uh, protein right yeah uh, yeah it, it, as long as you can find complete proteins that's the trick is right. uh, in in vegetable and veggies if you have so this goes back to like information and uh, knowing what you need nutritionally. Right. Uh, There's eight essential like, amino acids, for example. Yeah. Yeah. And if you eat rice and beans, then that completes the, the proteins that you need, the amino acids that you need to make a protein. Uh, quinoa it. is a superfood, and it actually has everything that you need in it in order to make a complete protein. I was telling Brennan, I have eaten yeah. the same thing for breakfast five days a week for three years. One of the ingredients in that breakfast is quinoa. Quinoa's delicious. Yeah. And what is quinoa? It's, it's a grain. Um, it's, it's a, a grain. small grain. It has no it gluten. It grows in South America. Mm -hmm. That's where it came from. Yep. And it has, it's it's considered a superfood. It has all the amino acids necessary to make a complete protein. Right. Got so it. it's great for vegans, which have a lot of trouble getting um, the proteins that they need. Yes. Anytime you go to a vegan or vegetarian restaurant, guarantee there will be a bunch of quinoa on the menu. If it's decent. Uh, that's right, the, yeah, true. <laughs> what's the best type of bean for you? Black beans I, are up there. Are, I know black beans. I just wanted, That's what I wanted to ask. I eat black beans because I heard the black beans are the best for you. I don't, I don't know. Okay, I, so here's a general rule of thumb that I've heard from nutritionists is the, the darker and the more vivid the color of the naturally grown food, the better it huh. is for you. I would back that that's a great rule of thumb because i know that as far as leafy greens go the darker the color right. the more vibrant the color the, the more better. iron it has the healthier right. it is for you like purple onions are better for you than white onions um mm -hmm. black beans are black you know darker um yeah it's like definitely like spinach is Got darker it. so it's better for you yeah so that's okay. that's like i'd say that's a I like good rule that. of thumb i like that okay okay yeah yeah so i i i, I here's my common meal that i make at least once a week and uh, preston's partake but I always, so that's what I do. I boil chicken, okay? Mm -hmm. Then I throw rice in the, in the chicken broth. And I cook the okay. rice in that. What is your okay. take on that? That's a great way to add flavor to your rice. Boom! But, Thank you, I'm but, a cook. Oh, damn it. <laughs> do, you, do you have a George Foreman grill? No. Get one. Uh, to cook the chicken? You, you need the caramelization. Caramel, the, the browning, is flavor. There's flavor, so, uh, as you apply heat to meat, there is a chemical change, a chemical reaction happens uh -huh. that creates flavor. And if is that you're umami? boiling your chicken... Is it umami well, flavor? It is, right? That's that's the theory. I'm not sure. I've got the book upstairs. It's a great... Uh, Cook's Illustrated. Anything okay. Cook's Illustrated does. Oh, man, they're geniuses. They're okay. madmen in the kitchen. I just look like a Dr. Seuss as well. Heat <laughs> and meat. Yeah, okay. 
heat and meat. <clears throat> yeah. I didn't know uh, that. So caramelization creates the flavor. Yeah. But does it does it lose? Does the meat lose its nutrition? Nutrition. So if you're cooking it in oil, so I recently, I, and it's, oh. oh my gosh, I can't believe I didn't discover this earlier in my life. I got a cast iron skillet. Oh, fuck I yeah. Love, They're the shit. Oh my gosh. I love that pan. It's changed my life. But um, it needs oil in the pan in order for it to be a nonstick surface. Yes. And so when you add oil, that's the fat, and you're, that's where you're no longer going to have the nutritional benefits from boiling the chicken. Uh, the George Foreman grill, I am a big fan of actually, and it's what we used before we had our cast iron skillet, where it browns the meat nicely, but you don't have to use any oil on it. So when you um, say the nutritional benefits from boiling, you just mean the reduction in fat from not having to fry it, right? Yeah, got reduction it. in fat, uh, yeah, pretty much. Okay, all right, okay. got it, okay. That's and what, so, I, I was trying to research boiling products, and because they always say when you boil something, it loses all yeah, of it. Yeah, so that was, I was going to ask that. From vegetables to meat. Vegetables what, specifically does, yeah. what's the best way to cook a vegetable and not lose the nutrition? There's no way. That doesn't happen. The more you cook, um, the more nutrition gets burned away, basically? Yes and no. The okay. nutritional value changes. So as you cook it, um, yes, some of the nutritional value is going to be, it's, it's going to go away. Okay. But... Your body can also process it a lot easier. So you burn fewer calories consuming cooked product than you do consuming raw product. So if you eat healthy food, it's better to cook your vegetables. If you eat unhealthy food, it's better to eat them raw. I, kind of. Because then yeah. you use up the shitty unhealthy food that you ate to burn the vegetables <laughs> that you ate. That's, that, was, that was the logic there. I was trying to... Is this your takeaway? <laughs> yeah. In my mind... In my mind, I was trying to build a formula. I'm like, yep, Preston just said that. That's what I just heard. <laughs> well, I vindicated myself. Yeah, I feel... Okay, so... We're going to go in and out after this or no? Yeah, totally. All right, good deal. <laughs> so, yes, cooking, cooking your food makes it easier for you to digest. It makes it easier right. for your body to break down what it's given. And granted, yes, you're going to lose some of the nutritional value cooking the product. But if you're cooking down a big, giant head, like, oh, man, if you've ever cooked down kale... You can have like a giant head of kale, cook it down, and eat it in one sitting by yourself yeah. because of how much it breaks down. It turns into a and ping so, pong ball. <laughs> uh, yeah. Well, let's talk about this really fast. Today, from lunch, what I had was I had like probably egg or two for breakfast, scrambled egg, but I wasn't really hungry. So then around three o'clock, I had two heads of boiled broccoli. Okay. Did broccoli lose all of its nutritional value because I I, I really steamed it? I steamed it. I'm sorry. No. Steaming's worse than boiling. Is it? It. Same. No, no, no. I'm saying it didn't lose all of its nutritional value. Just you don't lose. It's not like all of a sudden. Oh my gosh, I'm eating just fiber. It's not like uh, I cooked this this broccoli. I, I steamed this broccoli, and now it's just fiber, and that's all it's doing for me. You. St it still has a nutritional benefit, but. It won't be as good as if you eat it raw, but eating raw broccoli is like meh. You're going to cover it in ranch if you're going to eat it raw, right? True. That's totally true, for sure. That's, that's right. healthy, right? Who yeah. eats raw broccoli? You cover that in cheese sauce. You cover that in ranch. You're I not just going to eat raw broccoli. For sure. Right. Okay. So am I doing a solid for myself by boiling everything I cook? I guess is my question. Because I, I, I don't have a grill. I kind of maybe do stuff on, on you know on a pan, uh -huh. but I really just boil everything. 
Um, what should I do differently? Nutritionally, you're not doing yourself a disservice. Flavor-wise, which flavor is good for the soul, you can do things better. Got it. So it's all about soul food then. Soul food. Soul yeah. food. Okay. Uh -huh. Got it. So you really recommend the forming grill? Yeah, get the one with the detachable plates because they're so much easier to clean. Okay. Got it. Okay, so we kind of got off topic. We're talking about cooking, which is awesome because Paul's specialty. Well, I figure let's let's, yeah. let's tailor our podcast to our <laughs> to our guests. Absolutely. And by the way, Paul, you're great at all this. Has nothing to do with Brendan wanting to know if he's eating shit food or if he's actually being healthy. Well, what I'm saying is I've been fat my whole life, so obviously I'm doing something wrong. And maybe portion. You know, well, and maybe no, portion that goes, control. That goes back into body style, body type. Yeah. Like yeah. that's just the way your body is, and it. There's, it's genetics, and there's not a whole lot you can change about that. I'm sorry. That's that's just the way that it is. Yeah. Yeah, sorry, dude. You were born a fat fuck. You'll die a fat fuck. <laughs> you were born a fat fuck. You'll die a fat Exactly. But hey, at least I'm like the pillar between you two. Like, I'm not I'm like the <laughs> mid-team. It's like the fat boy sandwich or oh something. Oh, my God. If you think that I'm skinny, you should see Paul. Paul still looks as skinny as he's ever been. I, I, know, definitely... this, I know this is an audio podcast. Paul, stand up really fast. I want to see. That sounds really funny. You can't tell because he's wearing a baggy hoodie. I know, right? Oh, you're asking like, as shit, though. Oh, yeah, he totally is. How tall are you, man? He's as tall as me. 6'1". Uh, oh, you fucked. He's a little bit shorter than me. You fucked. <laughs> I hate you all. Um, uh, all right. Oh, yeah, Paul, could, we could eat anything when we were teenagers. Remember, we yeah. would, uh, we'd walk home from school. So I, I talked about how we lived like a, maybe a half mile, quarter mile away from each other. Correct. Paul's house was first, and then I would keep walking home for another half mile. We would uh, stop at his house in high school... He would cook us both a giant bowl of popcorn each, and then we would eat the entire bowl while we watched movies after school every day. Nice. And so, and yeah, like, I don't know. When I'm saying a giant bowl of popcorn, I mean like, um... This like, isn't air-popped popcorn either. I've used like... Oh, yeah, uh, oil. I would say almost a quarter cup of oil. Go make and the oil I would thing. Cook a half cup of popcorn seeds. Nice. Yes. Oh, yeah, that's, and I would eat the entire fucking bowl. Fuck yeah. And then I would so go good. home and I would eat dinner that my parents made. <laughs> <laughs> uh, oh man, so, those are the days. So Paul, do you work fun. out or no? No. I need to get in a workout routine. I used to rely on working in a the food industry as my exercise because there's a lot that you have to do. Yeah, on your uh, when, feet like, all the, the time. When the yeah. come in, you're lifting big heavy bags and putting them away and, and you're constantly walking and moving. But now I have a sit-down job, and I really need to get into an exercise routine. Yeah. But I haven't yet because I'm lazy. Yeah. I you know, that. honestly, my advice there is just find find a physical activity you like and do that. And if you can force yourself to do it. Like, my example is... Masturbation. My example is always... <laughs> yeah. No, yeah, totally. Well, he has a wife. He doesn't need masturbation. Well, not, wait, wait, not wait, as wait. much. Not wait, as much. I thought much. marriage equals no sex. Yeah, I don't know. Uh, well, we, we... You don't have to talk about that. Off topic. Side topic. <laughs> uh, we recently had a change in our schedule where uh, married couples schedule. with children will definitely understand this. We have an hour in the middle of the day where we don't have kids. Mm. We are together, and it's magic. That was oh how I was God. conceived. We've talked about that before as well. Oh, right? It's the best <laughs> hour of the day. I do have to, because she, my wife, uh, bless her heart, she works graveyards, which is the oh, harder shit. shift of the two, definitely. Yeah, for um, sure. And so I'm torn between waking her up to get some and letting her sleep. 
but it has been so nice to have that uh, time in between the day without the kids. Is it like after she wakes up and shortly before you go to bed? Oh no, it's middle of the day though. Middle oh of the day, so it's while she's waking up. So she she sends the kids to school, she goes to bed. I get home from work, and I get home right now, currently on the schedule that we have, an hour before the kids get home from school. Okay, got it. <laughs> got it. Sorry, that was yeah. just a little coughing. Uh, yeah, all right, I like yeah. it. It's a yeah. good hour. Oh fuck yeah! Good for you, man. And just to be clear, just to be clear, uh, Preston was just coughing over there because the word marriage really. Oh it yeah, it really gags me. It, it really gets him for Klimt. Uh, <laughs> I, I will be married 10 years this February. Congratulations, awesome. man. Yeah, man. Totally. Thank you. You know, one out of three is not bad. Uh, uh, one out of the three of us being married? Yeah. Uh, in a committed relationship for 10 years? In baseball? Fuck, that's amazing stats, bro. Yeah, right? That'll get, that'll get you the first, what is that, a single? Well, it's 30, 30, you know, 33%, 300%. Ironically a single? Yeah. All right, so uh, did you have anything else you wanted to talk about with uh, recycling or food waste? Uh, I feel like we kind of got off topic, but we, we covered totally a lot. We did, we did quite a bit. We did definitely get off topic. We talked about, uh, we got into food more. I was going to go more into uh, how recycling is changing and the, okay, added R, the added R to reduce, reuse, recycle, refuse. Which yeah, I, think I saw that today. Notion. Yeah. Oh, man. But yeah. hang on, let's take an intermission because you guys are refilling your drinks and I feel uh, left out. Okay, sounds good. All right, so we kind of got off track. We're going to go ahead and move back to our main topic of recycling. Uh, we have, Paul says that there's some changes coming up on how we are approaching recycling. Go ahead, Paul. Okay, so uh, th as we were leaving, I, I was talking about reduce, refuse, uh, recycle, the, the four R's. I missed one. Reduce, reuse, reuse, recycle, and the recycle, new one is refuse. Refuse, yes. Which is so big, and I feel like can make such a difference. Um, in my household, personally, we've invested in not necessarily the best Tupperware, but you can get Gladware. You can get uh, uh, these different brands. Like all sorts of different companies are making these thin, reusable, so they're inexpensive, plastic yeah. containers. And Absolutely. so I've completely gotten away from using, or I, uh, trying to completely get away from using Ziploc. Uh -huh. Because Ziploc are one of those single-use and saran wrap, are those single-use plastics that you immediately throw away that are not recyclable. Right. You can't do anything with those. And so if I do use a Ziploc, I try to use it more than once. Granted, there are things they work great for. I, I love buying bread off the day-old rack, and I immediately take it home, and I throw it in a freezer bag and put it in the freezer, and when I need it, I pull a loaf out and I toast it, and it's 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 a cost-effective way to buy bread. That's how my mom did it. She would go to the Wonder Thrift Store and buy the day-old bread and buy like uh -huh. eight loaves at a time and throw them in the deep freezer. Exactly. Throw them all in the deep freezer. Yep. And so there are applications that it's good for. Yeah. But it's being able to refuse and being able to find ways in your day-to-day -day life to not use as many soda bottles, to not use as many uh, water bottles, to not use as many Ziploc bags, to not use the saran wrap. I saw this fantastic product at my local um, uh, aquarium where it's like this beeswax stretch thing that you can heat with your hands that works like saran wrap that's reusable. Huh. That sounds cool. Interesting. I haven't used it. I don't know how well it works. But I'm glad that there are options becoming available right. that can eliminate the use of plastic. So right now, I, I led into 
China refusing all of our plastic, they still accept recyclable materials, but it has to be 99.5% uncontaminated. Oh, shit. And right now, uh, our sorting facilities can get up to about a 90% uncontaminated, a 90% purity. And most of, the, most of the world, in fact, I know that the UK was also hit really hard by this trade embargo that huh. China has imposed. And so we are trying to get our sorting facilities up to this 99.5% standard, but we're also trying to build more of our own recycling facilities so that hopefully we can not be so dependent on someone else for for something that impacts the environment so much. What a novel idea. <laughs> because yeah, it, it's such a supply chain, right? And this is where I'm trying to grasp my head around all this. And I get why we outsource it and give it to China. And now they're putting on restrictions as to the cleanliness based on, you know, how they want it, what they want to accept. But yeah. now you're saying we may want to revert and have it in-house and do things within, their own, within our own country. But... To do recycled products, let me, and I, I'm guesstimating here, so work with me, but with recycled products, to do recycling, there's only business when you get suppliers to take the recycled, clean products on the back end, right? Yeah. How many, how, is, it a, is it a high volume of companies that use recycled products or no? No, I don't think so. And is that the problem? Partially. Okay, um, that's what I, I don't know because I'm just thinking through this from the supply chain. I'm like, so it maybe... all boils down to it's far cheaper to make new, like Paul said, it's far cheaper to make virgin plastic than it is to recycle. Oh shit, drop that virgin again. Yeah, which means yep. that making products and packaging them with recycled plastic is far more expensive than creating new packaging. Right. So, right, Paul? How, how do you shift the business paradigm to? Ah, you make Marketing. it more expensive to make plastic. On that's the front how, end. That's the only way, yeah. And who's controlling carbon, that? Carbon oh, taxes. Oh. In my mind, is the I government about... subsidizing plastic? Oh, absolutely. It is. Norway. Norway is already doing this. Where they're having, uh, I forget exactly what they called it, but if you use uh, an unrecycled product, if you use that virgin plastic in order to make bottles, then you have to pay an extra fee to the government in order to have like a disposal fee or something like that. Perfect. And I forget See, that's exactly the, what they called that, it. Right. That's but great. there are there are some implications uh, there are some implementations that are already taking place. Um, the thing that broke my heart was the UN summit meeting, the G3, I forget what it was, where that 16-year-old girl got up there and she's like, uh, oh, yeah. "We are crying out for environmental change, and all anyone is talking about is the bottom line." And it's yeah. like it, it's true. And until we can get on a global scale implementation of uh, monitoring the incineration of plastics, monitoring uh, the factories that are producing plastics, and putting these excess taxes on companies that are using these raw materials that are not recycled materials, then yeah. we're just going to be spiraling down the same rabbit hole. Yeah, and Until so this is, this is my biggest complaint with capitalism, is that capitalism converts everything every ROI into pure dollars and there's so many things that can't be converted into dollars that should be calculated into ROI and that's that's it that's the biggest complaint by far that I have with capitalism well again and it's just funny though I don't that I agree with you but I would say it's funny how within lobbying and saying things work out how they get subsidized along the way 
Oh yeah, this is not all. Yeah, also we don't have capitalism. We have a corporate nanny state right. that subsidizes our worst offenders. Right. So it's not even capitalism. So the people that okay, well, proclaim and proselytize for capitalism are full of shit. Right. So this is where it's really interesting because that's where I was trying to get out with you, Paul. Is you're going through the paradigm of the current business model, and I think it's great that you know so much about this. It's just so unfortunate because I thought about, I'm not sure in Utah, tell me more about Utah, but you know, I know in the, the bottling industry, we have our CRV, right? Whereas, you know, per glass or, or Sorry, plastic. CRV? Well, CRV, yeah. Isn't CR, wait, is it, I think, am I saying that? Are you talking about the glass bottles that have like five cents in Oregon, five cents in California, five CRV? cents in Washington? I don't know. I think it's CRV. I think the acronym I never cared because it didn't apply in Utah. So. Well, that's my point. Yeah. That's my. That's why I want to. Well, I don't know. About it's it. like eight this? states. That's why I want to bring this up because that's why I want to bring this up because I don't think it's feasible and it's a failed initiative. Um, no. Okay. So according to Adam ruins everything. It used to be what the norm, but all these companies like Coca Cola lobbied successfully that and uh, like blamed littering. That's where littering came from. Mm-hmm. Um, blamed consumers for throwing away their products and then Not they made sure. it so that basically creating disposable products was the norm instead. Right. Okay. So Paul, just so you know, I think it's CRV is the term, but that sounds on, familiar, on plastic, so, on plastic yeah. and glass products, it's a, de- it's a deposit on a bottle where right. if you turn it back in, you get something back. Correct. Right. Correct. Okay. Yeah, like if you look at the bottom but, of like a Coke gla- a glass Coke bottle, it says like yeah. five cents O R C A, and then like yeah, four yeah, other yeah, states. Yeah. yeah. So per Preston's point, what he just made my point without me making it Sorry. is, is the feasibility is not worth it. The end consumer does not give a shit. It's not enough money for the end consumer to care about recycling accordingly. Uh, what about those warm fuzzies? What about saving the environment, saving the world? Well, it, this is where I think this is what what you're getting at with your what you're saying. People love convenience above all. True. When it's hard to recycle, they lost their mojo. It's it, and, and recycling is such a prickly pear. I have a, I have a friend that is in very I would say oriented in the hippie lifestyle. Uh, Are you talking about me? Is, no, I'm kidding. <laughs> she is. She's a, a doula. Do you know what a doula is? No, uh, it is. Cool. It is kind of like a midwife, isn't it? Yeah. So it's like it's like a, a birthing coach, you could right. say. Yep. Not necessarily in the medical training, some medical training, but there is like an advocate for you going through the birthing process. Right. And she very, uh, it very much embraces the natural lifestyle and very much uh, her and her husband and in her entire life, they're trying to embrace this non-consumerism lifestyle. But the last time I was hanging out with them, they had this plastic container and my wife was like, is that recyclable? And she was like, I don't know, we'll send it anyway. And that mentality Mm. is so detrimental towards the whole recycling program. And so I think that a large part of fixing the problems that we have in recycling currently is education. Right. And that's going to be a state-by-state initiative because it's different state-by-state where you guys have your CRV or whatever it is, where you have a deposit on bottles, where you could possibly get something back even though nobody cares about it because five cents, what's five cents now? Like it may have been worth something 
back when it was first initiated. Well, that's but why now, homeless people, like I always see homeless people digging through trash cans and dumpsters and they're collecting recyclable shit that they can get money uh-huh. for. And you know what? Yeah. I used to think it was kind of disgusting and but not, not it didn't really bother me that much, but I was thinking about it the other day. It's like, sure, that's basically like free employees who are doing the bidding of the planet for us. I don't fucking like, yeah, dig through our trash and fucking recycle our shit. Fucking go for it. Like I was thinking about that. Next time you have a bottle, just cut to the source and go straight to them. You're like, you know what? Thank you, sir. Yeah, seriously. It's like, yeah, sure. Like we're not fucking willing to do it. Let's let the people who are downtrodden and on the outskirts of society do it for us. Why the fuck not? The sorting has become such an issue, and uh, yeah, uh, it may come to the point, if we can't come to a solution soon, I hope that it comes to the point where states implement fines for improper recycling and the curbside uh, separation of recycling becomes an, a, a thing again. I don't know if it will, because when the, the divided recycling was a thing, we were still having garbage men on the back of garbage trucks where you'd have somebody grabbing the bin and putting it in each one and then they'd drive to the next house. Right. Whereas now everything is automated where you've got these hydraulic arms that come out, grab the bin, dump it, and then move on. Right. And I don't know if we'll get back to the divided recycling, but I know that if we make it the consumer's obligation to recycle the different uh, uh, items of recycling, then that would expedite the recycling process. So I don't know. Again, it goes back to incentivization, incentivizing it. And this is what I want want to bring up. So it's called the the container... the container legislation, container deposit legislation, which actually originated in Oregon, and there's 10 states that do it. California, uh, Hawaii, Colorado, Connecticut. Utah's uh, not on that list. Nope. Nope. Uh, let's see. U- uh, Iowa, Maine, Massachusetts, Michigan, New York. Come on, Iowa? Those fucking. And Vermont. And Vermont. Those are the 10 states that are also going to legalize marijuana first. <laughs> right? <laughs> Come on, <laughs> Iowa, that fucking backward, hick-ass state is ahead of Utah when it comes to recycling. <laughs> We're Again. bottom of the chain. It's, uh, I've embraced it. So the unfortunate thing... Um, uh, so we stone the, them, the we get them stoned, and they can recycle. So that's the process I think we're working with, right? Yeah, that's we, how it we, works. Right? We that's get them stoned, and we incentivize them to recycle. You get stoned, and you turn into a hippie, and then hippies want to recycle, and so the All process right. continues. The planet, man. Yeah, right? I like <laughs> this. Okay. Paul, thank you. Good work. Good talk tonight. Thank you on your knowledge on food uh, education, I guess. Food uh, knowledge policy. I don't oh, know. yes. We yeah. can go to enhancing food flavors more in another tangent. For sure. And thank you for helping us get super depressed about the state of the future of the planet and of uh, recycling. Hopefully. So uh, one more exiting point sure. to try to give you a glimmer of hope was one article that I read pointed out that this sword initiative was what it was called, where China, oh, yeah, the China stopped China. taking the world's recycling back in January of 2018. Yep. 2018. Um, really shined a light on where we send our garbage and how we deal with it. Yes. And that may have been the catalyst to making good change in the future. Mm. And I really hope that it is, and I advocate for it. And uh, uh, anybody that's listening, please go to your local recycling resources, try to figure out 
what is recyclable, what isn't, uh, take the initiative to learn about what you can and cannot put in your recycling bins, clean your plastics, and that will make such a huge impact on the environment for the entire planet moving forward. Yes. I like it. Paul, one last question. I have to throw it out there. Do you think America will build the infrastructure to be self-sustaining when it comes to recycling? Or are we gonna keep outsourcing it to third world countries and or China? If it makes economic sense. The bottom line matters. Thank you, Paul, appreciate. Hold on, I have one more point. I wanna dry this out a little bit longer. This is something I was thinking about for a while. And uh, I've wondered about when we run out of oil and we run out of the, when, when we run out of the resources to make plastics, is there gonna become an industry of basically mining land Bills for things like plastic and things like aluminum and things like like electronics, I I, I predict that. What's that? Where labor is cheap and people can't find work. Right. Like yeah. for example, when the world economy collapses and our cushy society is no longer a thing, and everyone's starving, I feel like that's going to become a thing. Yeah. No. I, I think you know, it, it could be. I, I think it, it it does, because again. When, when society scales down, manufacturing scales down, therefore products scale down. So therefore, sometimes these products are only in the rec yards. And right. I, I just talked to someone that wants to get a radiator for their truck and they're going to rec yards for it. Oh yeah, you can afford it. Like it's cheaper. a very common thing. Oh totally. Especially in the automotive industry yeah. to yeah. go to rec yards because it's pennies on the dollar yep. with the same return on yeah. investment. Yep. And I think to your point, Preston, long term, that may be a thing. I think so. I just wanted to kind of put it out there and see what you guys had to think. I, I, I think it's true. Paul? Okay. I, 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 sorry, it cut out for a second. Okay. Um, uh, I, I hope that we can get away from our disposable mentality for consumerism totally. and get back to I have it, it works, let's use it. Uh, I, I wish that it meant more sense to be able to take different items, places, and, and get them repaired. There really aren't places where you can get normal everyday things repaired anymore, like the, right. getting a vacuum repaired instead of throwing it away and buying the new model. Or a pair of shoes, like a cobbler, yeah. And, and, that, I get, and that goes to personal skill sets too, because yeah. at the end of the day, I think the, 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 the growth of America is being hands-on and learning as you go. Yeah. And that is to your point of buying a product and keeping it for 30 years because you figure out how to replace it, fix it, take care of it for 30 years. Yeah. And that goes back to people being hands-on instead of referring to Amazon. And I hope that we can get at least a little bit more back to that. Yeah, I agree. Totally. I, I Just for my personal sake, I feel like I have a good knowledge base, like a top-level knowledge of a lot of things, but I don't deep dive into things because I have to, because I'm like, Because eh. I can go to Walmart and buy it for five bucks. Yeah. And if it and breaks, I, I can buy it again for five bucks and, and I throw make it away. The, I yeah. make that purchase and I go, fuck, I hate myself. Yeah, basically. So, thank you, Paul. Uh, Appreciate it, sir. Thank you. All right. Uh, thanks for listening, everybody. Uh, I just want to actually uh, talk about a blog post that kind of relates to this that I made recently it was called Consumerism and the Delusion of Perpetual Growth. So go to allopinionsnofacts.com, check out that blog post. It doesn't really offer any solutions, 
but it talks about a lot of the same things. So you can go ahead and read that and get outraged, and then maybe you can go make a change. All right. Thanks for listening, everybody. Don't be a proponent. Yep. Peace out.